This is the Pingdom Podcast for July 5, 2012. Welcome back to the Pingdom Podcast. It's now July 5, 2012. We just passed uh, 4th of July yesterday. We had a nice little giveaway of a thousand free accounts and they they uh, finished um, this morning, at least Swedish time. Um, so hopefully a lot of new Pingdom users enjoying their accounts for monitoring sites and servers. We're now getting back to our podcast, Talking Security Again. Um, I am joined by my co-host, Nikolai Soling. He's Director of Technology Services at a company called Help AG in Dubai. How is um, summer shaping up in Dubai? I know it's hot, but... Uh, it's hot and sticky, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, that's, uh... How, how's business? Is it, is it slowing down any over summer for you guys? Well, we haven't really seen it slowing down yet. But, uh, you know, in general, uh, uh, the security industry is always quite quite busy, but... But um, we do have seasonality, and specifically during Ramadan, which is coming up now, yeah. customers are, are are not as active as they would would usually be. We we actually had a temperature record yesterday. Wow. Uh, we we have these. Uh, it's actually just internally in the, in the company that people they take a a photo of the temperature gauge in their in their car for the mm-hmm. outside temperature. And one of my colleagues yesterday he sent in a photo saying 53 degrees Celsius. Ouch. Yes, so then it's warm. Then, then you don't really want to get in the car. And uh, yeah, another feeling that's that's pretty awful, actually. Exactly, and, exactly. And, and it takes a little while before even the best AC kicks in. And, that's true. And, and you almost burn your hands on the steering wheel when you touch it. Correct. <laughs> yeah, correct. That's not very nice. All right, we have a couple of things to discuss before we get to the main topic, which is uh, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi for home users, home offices, uh, small, medium-sized businesses, uh, those kinds of things. Um, An article I found found, um, just a few days ago, I think it was, and I I thought it was pretty interesting. There's a guy called Nathaniel Bornstein, and he writes, why good enough, quote-unquote, good enough security really is good enough for most companies. And he says, the, uh, uh, the quest for, por- for perfection obscures the trade-offs inherent in risk reduction. It encourages businesses to scamper down rabbit holes, trying to perfect security techniques rather than declaring them, quote-unquote, good enough and looking for the next low-hanging fruit. Uh, is this something, well, do you agree? And is it something that you find when you're out there talking to clients? Um, is, is this kind of attitude um, good attitude to have or should you try to shoot f- for perfection no matter the cost kind of well i don't know if it's it's necessarily about doing good enough security i i, I generally agree with the article and there's there's a few good points in there but at the end of the day your security and the choice of your security level should be business driven and that's really what the article is going through here, is that uh, that you should make sure that you meet the the right kind of level compared to the industry or the business you're in. Um, you know, if you're a financial institution, then you're going to spend a lot of money in security. If you're a company which is selling secondhand automobiles, well, probably your business profile is different. So maybe for you a lower level of security is enough um and then it's also about understanding what is it that you want to achieve with your security and your security solutions right um and what the uh, author nathaniel he's writing here is that uh, uh it could be that your security level should just be about avoiding legal liability um, and that is actually an excellent goal for a lot of customers. That's enough mm-hmm. for making their security business-driven. And, you know, meeting that goal 
might be that you can achieve that without the large amount of investments. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's a key point that uh, which I always try to do when we talk to customers is to make sure that whatever investments they do in security, that it gets uh, aligned with their business requirements, which is really a key point. And and what's the biggest problem in, in doing that and talking to customers about that? Is is it um, are they on the end of thinking, well, this is going to cost too much money, or are they pushing for, for, for this kind of the quote-unquote perfect setting, or wh- where are they typically kind of on the spectrum? Well, it depends. Many customers, they want to achieve the perfect security. I think ideally all of us, that we want to be secure, right? Sure. Uh, but the efforts associated to that, the investment that you have to do in order to reach that level will always be extremely high. You know, even... If I came to a customer today and said, I have the perfect security solution and it's going to fix all of your issues in the future, mm. you know, I would be lying because I don't know what the future is. I don't know. You know, it's the same thing when we do a penetration test in our Help AG uh, uh, penetration testing services. Um, you know, the penetration test is actually obsolete the minute that we have delivered the report because the the threats they have changed you know the threats are constantly evolving which also means that your security needs to be constantly evolving Uh, but aligning yourself against some let's say good 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 levels which are common sense and common practice does make a lot of sense for most customers sure Okay, uh, it's a uh, for those who don't want to read a lot, it's a fairly short article. There will be a link to it in the show notes. I thought it was a pretty good read. Um, another one that you had picked out, um, it's not so, at least not directly, so much about security, but it brings up um, the uh, brings up some good points. Basically, saying that we work more and more outside of. The office, um, and there's a lot of different numbers. The one I thought was funniest was says that 50% of people surveyed in the study check their work email while still in bed, from presumably then from something like a BlackBerry. Yeah, I'm guilty. Sorry, but that's, uh, I'm definitely guilty. Actually, when I woke up this morning, the first thing I did was to open my BlackBerry, and I was told by my my Pingdom service that my website has been down for four oh, minutes last night. Boy. Yeah. So well, you're um, welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, we we get the, the side note, but we, yeah, it's, it's funny reading those kinds of uh, tweets and Facebook messages saying that we oh, Pingdom woke you up, woke me up this morning uh, with some alerts. Uh, exactly. But it, but it's pretty interesting uh, number. So 68% of people again survey check their work emails before 8 a.m. Um, the average American first checks their phone around 7, uh, just after 7 a.m., and then 50% check their work email while still in bed. Do, do we, uh, are we becoming a, a, a culture across the world where we work too much and too much outside of um, when we should be working? I, you know, this is always, uh, it's depending if you're the employer or the employee, right? But, um, you know, one of the numbers that really strikes me is that we actually work uh, in average seven hours extra every single week um, te- checking our emails and, and, you know, working outside of where we should actually be – sorry, when we should not be working. Yeah. If, you, if, you, if you look into that, it's actually almost 30 hours a month or almost a full working week 
per month, at least if you're in the Scandinavian countries where you work. How many hours per week now? 35, 37? Uh, well, not all of us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But... Um, But what I'm saying is that that there's quite a lot of uh, of stuff. Uh, you know, you're, you're doing quite a lot of work outside of uh, of, um, of, um, of of the of the business life, sure. um, and uh, we're not offline anymore, which of course can be a bit uh, concerning. Um, and we have all these great devices for doing it. That's also another thing is that we have all of these gadgets now, the iPads, the Blackberries, the, you know, all of these devices, which makes it easy for us to be online. Yeah. But it's 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 one of those things which gives you freedom, but you also need to manage that freedom in a in a in a good way. And I could be a bit concerned also, you know, looking at myself. Uh, you're never really off work anymore, and that's that's a, that's a concern. Yeah, and there, and there are of course security aspects to this, since you, the, 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 these wonderful devices you talked about, the, they take data and connectivity and all different kinds of things outside of the office, and they also Correct. then also extend the time when uh, there could be security implications if you use the devices more to to check your email and input data, whatever you're doing with them. Then obviously the the kind of the contact points increase in in time and in in geography as well. Correct. Absolutely. So, you know, all of my customers that I'm talking to right now, they are all talking about how are they going to enable uh, mobile email or how are they going to secure it? Not because they haven't been using mobile email and, and, and mobile access to, to email and corporate data, but now they're really starting to understand how much of a security concern it is. So it's really about harnessing this this, this fantastic Uh, capabilities that we got over the last, I would really say the last three to four years, that's really where it's been exploding. Um, And and there's a lot of of work going into that specific area right now. Um, You mentioned something before we went on air that there are some interesting developments in Germany right now regarding this. Yeah, actually, labor law in Germany is starting to to uh, to look into this. So um, I think it was Volkswagen that I read about, where Volkswagen they've been hit by a uh, by uh, one of the unions that they work with, where they said you actually your our members are not going to control this. So now it's going to be the employers um, employers uh, uh, area of of of, uh, of control to to control when people are accessing emails. So that means that outside of business hours, people are not allowed to get emails pushed to their phones. They can go and synchronize themselves because then the individual makes a choice himself. But getting an email pushed and getting, you know, on a BlackBerry, it's a small blinking red LED. Uh, on an iPad, it might be a, a sound when the email is, is synchronizing. That's not allowed anymore to to uh, to, to to do this push of emails, mm-hmm. uh, and that's of course quite interesting. Yeah, we'll see if that if that kind of catches on in other countries um, as well. That'll be yes, absolutely an interesting development to follow. Finally, then before we get to um, Wi-Fi issues of securing, setting up secure Wi-Fi, and and how to get on Wi-Fi securely and those things. Um, another article that you found saying payment terminals, these uh, often very, often small, uh, often also handheld little things that you you swipe your card in when you pay at a, at a restaurant or, or a shop, very often wireless as well. Payment terminals handle more than 852 million card payments in the UK alone, and there are apparently some security issues with these um, terminals. Uh, actually, this is this is just in one month. That's the in in April, oh, April. 2000. 
In it's April. only in one month, right? Okay. So it's, it's about, how much is that, like 10 billion transactions per year? Wow, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And these, these kind of devices, right, you know, we all use them. And what this security company have done is that they've actually gone in and identi- oh, sorry, done a reverse engineering of the software running within these devices and looked into the communication flows and looked into how, how, how secure the software is built uh, on the device itself. And, and they are actually quite uh, surprised about the lack of, uh, of quality in that software. Um, and... Uh, you know, there's quite a lot of information that's been tra- sent between a, a terminal like like that and to the payment uh, supplier, which would typically be a bank or a company which is just focusing on payment uh, transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and both the physical and the software security on these devices are actually quite poor, according to them. And one of the things that they say that this could potentially lead to is uh, that our beforehand our chip cards uh, sorry our our credit cards they were all they all had a magnetic stripe but what happened now is that we actually have these small chips that are embedded into our credit cards and these small chips can actually hold data so potentially what could happen is that you could have the concept of a trojan card which would insert a trojan on the uh, handheld terminal which would allow leaking of data from that terminal afterwards. Mm-hmm. Or it could even be in, you know, let's call it the most ultimate scenario, um, could be that the device could uh, actually, um, uh, sorry, that Trojan card could insert or inject a virus within the payment card, uh, sorry, the payment uh, supplier's uh, network as well. So very, very interesting uh, um, uh, f- functionality coming out there. So, uh, thinking about it from a from the perspective of the customer or the user, then what can you do? Can you do anything other than bring cash and forget about the cards? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. You know, I, again, I have to highlight that in 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 at least Europe, and uh, uh, you, you have pretty secure when you're using your credit card because the banks they buy, bear most of the liability in case something should happen um but uh, there's there's definitely some things uh, in the whole uh, concept of of payment cards which are are, are still let's say unaccounted for mm-hmm. um being a bit of a cynical person in this specific aspects i would say that there are certain security issues in in credit cards today but i'm sure that the banks are making much more money then the risk or the, that they lose on the credit cards, they're making much more money not having to distribute uh, um, distributing cash. Mm-hmm. So I think it's for Visa, for the different kind of payment cards, Visa, American Express or whatever they're called, right? I think it's a matter of a cost-benefit analysis. How much are we benefiting for, for that and how much does it cost us in fraud? Sure. I think it's an, it's an easy calculation for them to do. Sure. Yeah, no, that's probably true. Yeah. Okay, let's get on to the main topic then, which is wireless security, more so for home offices, small, medium-sized uh, businesses rather than, than big enterprises because uh, we've kind of touched upon this before. The, when we start, yes. start talking about big enterprises, then the issues are different, not just because the scale of number of users and all different kinds of things are different. So we're, we're kind of focusing on smaller Wi-Fi that you would set up at home or in a small office, exactly. those kinds of settings. So. 
Um, so there, there are a lot of different security issues. Most people want some kind of wireless um, uh, setup today at home and in the office for convenience and, and different reasons. Uh, I think I mentioned in the last show that in in the apartment building we live in, I can probably at home see probably somewhere in the region of 10, 15 um, different wireless networks at any given time. And I, at least one of them I know is, is um, open. <laughs> uh, and it, it's happened that I got on it when I've had problems at home just to, to check sure. on something. Uh, I don't know who it is, and maybe I should try to find out so, so make sure that they know at least that it's open because there, there are issues for, for whoever has that um, connection open. So um, you, you think about installing, uh, getting wireless security for your, for your home, home office, small, small business. What, what should you be thinking about? Yeah. Actually, just uh, before we start on the actual article, this, this was actually a bit of a deja vu for me because I wrote an article for PC World back in 2001 on some good practices on how to secure your wireless infrastructure, your wireless access point at home. Okay. And it's quite interesting that we still have the same problems today. That's like 11 <laughs> years on. <laughs> okay. Um, but, um, yeah, I have to say that's uh, – no, sorry, that was 2004. But still, you know, yeah. it's still eight years on and we still have the problem, right, that there's open wireless access points out there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing that's, that, that should be a little bit of a wake-up call for, for the industry. <laughs> Well, I, I have to say that a lot of these issues, the thing is all access points that are bought today and that you buy today are actually, if you use the security features in them, mm -hmm. they're actually quite okay. okay. So back in 2004, 2005, one of the most used encryption protocols out there was called WEP mm -hmm. or WEP and WEP actually had some pretty serious security flaws in it, which meant that you could cryptographically break the encryption quite quickly, which has now been changed. What's still a problem is that there's a lot of people who out of the box do not run encryption on their access points. Mm -hmm. So uh, as you said yourself, maybe you have a neighbor or someone in that building block at least who connected his wireless access point, obviously have no idea about that this access point is actually open or made the choice to make it open because maybe they have an endpoint or a client which is unable to, to run with encryption or something like that. And now all of a sudden he is the I, uh, IT service provider, the ISP of the whole building block or for people who do not have internet in that building block mm -hmm. without that person knowing it. So the first key point is really handle encryption. So... Um, there's multiple ways that you run encryption today. Most access points, they do still support the the old way of doing encryption called web. But uh, today, there's an, uh, uh, a much better technology out there, which is called WPA. And one of the benefits of WPA is that they use what's called a rolling encryption key. So think about it in the same way as your car, uh, uh, your remote control for your car lock, where every time that you press the remote control, actually what happens is that there's a rolling key happening. So that means that that, that your car will only open uh, with the key that it's expecting to get when you press the, um, press the uh, remote control. And that's exactly the same way that we do in WPA PSK. So for every certain number of, of amount of traffic or time that's been passing, we change the key. Mm -hmm. If you know the what's called the preset key, and that's why it's called WPA PSK. Um, so whenever you configure WPSK, WPA PSK, 
you have to choose what's called a passphrase. And that passphrase is used to, let's say, identify your client endpoint and set up the encryption between your endpoint and that access point. So both devices need to know about it. Mm -hmm. And like any other passphrase, exactly like when you have a password in a system or something like that. And of course, most people, they choose an easy password, Mm -hmm. which actually breaks the whole idea about having encryption because if you choose a very, very easy password that's easy to type on your smartphone, then actually you could make yourself vulnerable to dictionary attacks. And dictionary attacks, right now there's tools out there, which is what it's doing is that it's associating extremely quickly to a wireless access point, and then it's just trying to associate with different kind of pre-shared keys. And it's basically trying a lot of combinations uh, and all of a sudden, you should be able to break the password of that specific uh, uh, network. That's what's called a dictionary attack or an automated dictionary attack. So you really need to make sure that your passphrase should be fairly strong, not use a normal word, exactly like when you would choose a normal uh, password. Um, and uh, most importantly as well is that it should be unique. Um And then, of course, another point is that a passphrase is something you share between the devices. So that means that if you have someone who's using your access point, which are not supposed to, maybe you have a guest that's coming in and you're giving the passphrase to them so that they can browse the internet, you should trust that person to not misuse your network. Because the minute that that person leaves, he probably has a profile defined on his phone. He has the passphrase and he could actually take that information out and use that and give it to someone else. So whenever you feel that too many people know your passphrase for your wireless access point, you should really change it. Yeah. There's actually something you can think about, especially if you're a business and you do have guests coming in, maybe sitting, waiting in the the lobby for a meeting or participating in something and you want to give them internet access or even if you're a home user and you want to have people over and and get on the network there are a a lot of um, network gear today uh, wi-fi network gear it doesn't have to cost that much that have has a built-in functionality for allowing guests to come on Um, and and that's become pretty common in the last few years so that's that might be something you want to look for when, when before you go out and buy buy the gear Yes, if it has what's called a guest access. And guest access was, would basically create another SSID without, with, a, with a different kind, either a different kind of passphrase or it would have like an authentication mechanism where the user would have to type a, a username and password in a browser window before they're allowed onto the internet. Um, another thing that you can do from a security perspective is to hide your SSID. So what that means, so the SSID is the is the uh, identifier of your wireless network. So that's basically the name of the wireless network. And one of the features that the 802.11 standard identifies is that you need to be able to hide that SSID. So what that means is that the access point stops broadcasting the SSID. And that's, you know, clever. So that means that you need to type the SSID in order to get access to that network. Mm-hmm. But actually, you leave open your device, your endpoint for a very, very serious security issue here because what happens is that when you hide the SSID and when you, cre- when you associate yourself to an SSID by typing in the SSID name, what will happen is that the device that, you, that you're accessing from, so your client PC, mm-hmm. will actually go around and broadcast and say, are you there, SSID? And it will actually say, are you there? And then the name of the SSID that it has configured in its profile. 
And that information, of course, means that's being broadcast out on the, on the network. And the idea is that whenever you get close to your own access point, which has that hidden SSID, the client device will actually go out and say, are you there, SSID? And the access point would reply back and say, yes, I'm here. And then they would set up an association between them. But that's something that a hacker can use in order to get access to your machine. So what would happen is that your machine broadcasts the name of the SSID that it wants to associate with, and then the attacker will actually be able to capture that airwave because that's being sent on the air interface or the wireless interface, mm-hmm. capture that beacon, look at it and say, oh, Nikolai, and that's in my, um, that's in my case, will say, oh, Nikolai is trying to connect to an SSID called Help AG. And uh, then uh, it would say, okay, uh, I'm now going to create an SSID called Help AG. And Nikolai, he would now try to associate to that. And I could potentially then use the communication channel between the client and that my hacker's access point to attack the machine. Because whenever you associate yourself to an access point, you also have a network connection between them. So that's worth noticing. So, so what's the conclusion then about SSIDs? Is there any point in hiding it, or does it just cause no, more problems? It just causes more problems. It's really, it's really a backwards way of of doing uh, security for the wireless network. Okay. Which brings us to the next point: the SSID name. So, depending on who you are, you need to think about if you really want the SSID to identify you. Um, so, in your case. Uh, your neighbor who has this SSID net, uh, which is open, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you wanted to know which kind of address he was on. So it would have been nice if he had put in the the, the name and number of his flat you know, or the street name and the, and the flat number. Because then you could go and knock on his door and say, you know what, I'm Magnus and can I just help you secure your wireless network because I can see that it's unencrypted. Um, you know, if you're yeah. a nice guy, maybe you would do that. Yeah. But you th- you should think about if you really want to to uh, to be able to associate the location with that specific SSID. Mm-hmm. And now I'm really thinking about if you're a company, if you're an individual who do not want someone else to know that you're there, then your SSID should, of course, not reflect where it's located. So, uh, or you should at least create the right kind of protection around it. Mm-hmm. So simply pick a wireless SSID name, which doesn't mean anything. You know, it could be just a string of characters. It could be something else. It's just a logical link that you need to do between yourself knowing that this is my SSID. Sure. There's actually quite there's a link in the in the podcast on uh, on the 1,000 most popular SSIDs worldwide. Yeah. And what's quite quite interesting is that most of them they are the default ones that the vendors put into their platforms. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at. Meaning, meaning that people, of course, do not change the built-in SSIDs. Yeah, so I'm looking at it. Top one, Linksys. Uh, number two, no SSID. Three, Netgear. Four, default. Uh, then link, uh, D-Link, HP setup. Um, wireless, there's a couple of with BT in. Free public Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi. Yeah. And uh, on goes the list. A lot of them we recognize. Uh, a lot of them we've connected to, to say similar networks with the same names. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, so just to summarize, as an enterprise, let's call, oh, sorry, as an SMB or a home user, these are you know generic good advices that you can use. Is to first of all enable encryption. If you haven't done that yet, then do it. Make sure that you use a passphrase which is not easily guessable. 
So that means that it's not something that's in a dictionary. So don't use the name of your favorite sports team or your famous quote, or your favorite quote or something like that. Just create a key. You only type it once mm. on each device and you, you should be able to, to have some sort of complexity in that specific password. Another thing, yeah? Yeah, I, I guess a fundamental question which we guess kind of should have asked uh, kind of when we started talking about Wi-Fi is, do you see a kind of a scenario, a typical scenario when a company, a small business um, would say, no, I'm, we're not going to have any Wi-Fi because of security issues? Okay, there are performance issues. You get faster connections, lower latency if you plug in. I mean, there's that's a clear case where you would you would pass up Wi-Fi for at least some things. But are there security situations where you would clearly say, no, we're not going to have Wi-Fi? I actually don't think so. I Personally, if you're doing decent security on your wireless network, you have better security on a wireless network than you have on a physical cable. Okay. And that's because the way that you can control the encryption, you need to think about that over a Wi-Fi interface, there's encryption involved. Over a, a normal cable, there's no encryption. So, of course, the benefit of the, of the physical cable is that you need to be in close prox proximity in order to read out the data on that specific cable. Mm. Where wireless, you know, it's outside the building. But with the right kind of security controls on a wireless network, it can be as secure as anything, uh, as, as a, wireless, a wired connection. Well, that's good news, at least compared to, I think, uh, the eight or ten years ago when you wrote the, that article. I, I don't yes. think you would have said the same thing then. No, absolutely not, because, you know, you had really difficulties in handling the encryption because the encryption was broken itself. But today it's, it's, it's really strong um, and to some extent stronger than, than, than a physical cable. Okay. What, what people do not understand is that you don't necessarily be, have to be plugged into a physical cable in order to tap what's on it. You can get, you know, passive tappers, which is looking at the magnetic fields around the cables. Um, okay. Again, of course, you need to get physical access to the cable, but uh, in order to, to install the tap, because it needs to be close by. But uh, a, a cable is in no way a secure uh, uh, communication Wow, so it's kind of like what you say then in the notes that the 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 best way to really secure yourself from I guess not just wireless then but wired as well is not be connected at all. <laughs> yes, well, of course that's the ultimate ultimate form of of security, but that's not very practical either. No. <laughs> then your security is not very business driven. That's for sure. No, no, not in yeah. most most cases at least today. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. You Good. had you had a couple of, a couple of other um, thoughts or suggestions for how you how you can stay safe and what you can do to protect sure, yourself. Sure. So this is not so much about how do you, do you protect your own wireless access point, but it's more about how do you use wireless. So first of all, you need to think about that when you connect to a wireless network, you don't necessarily know who's in the other end. And that's something that a lot of attackers are using today. So typically you go into an airport, you get an access point uh, that's saying, oh, free Wi-Fi and all of these things. And when you start communicating on that free Wi-Fi, you need to think about that. The person who owns that access point can see your traffic mm -hmm. because that's where the encryption ends. And even if you have encryption on the network, but also importantly is to understand that people within that network, people that are associated and people that's looking into the airwaves in that specific uh, radio frequency that you're in, they will be able to see the traffic from your machine directly, which is why you normally would want to have encryption on it. Mm. 
But if you just connect to a way, uh, access point, which is called free Wi-Fi, either the access point could be managed by someone who has illegit purposes, or it could also be that someone in that network or that's tapping the airwaves um, could see the traffic that you're doing. So they can see what you're accessing from uh, from your browser. They can see which kind of protocols are running on your machine, which kind of ports are open on your machine. They can do port scans and all of these things um, simply just by sniffing the traffic. Mm-hmm. And there was a good attack here of a couple of years ago. It was called FireSheep. It was a small plugin that you installed in your Firefox. And in that Firefox, when you were on open SSID with no encryption, they could start sniffing all the cookies that people they had when they communicated to different services like Facebook and these kind of things. And by doing that, using FireSheep, you could actually log in as another user using the session cookie on Facebook. Wow. That was before Facebook got encrypted. And it it used to be a very popular, let's call it script kitty tool. People, they would sit there on their wireless networks where there was no encryption. And then they would start, you know, being able to log in as people in Facebook. And, uh, you know, quite serious from an online identity perspective. Later, Later on, Facebook did, of course, the right thing. And that was that they added security on top of when you communicate to Facebook today, you should communicate over an HTTPS connection because what that does is that it encrypts the application layer traffic uh, between your browser and the Facebook server. So that means that whatever cookies on session information that you send is all encrypted on the, even if the wireless interface is unencrypted. Mm-hmm. So think about which kind of hotspots you're connecting to. If there's a free Wi-Fi in an airport, and you're just connecting there and you're connecting and downloading your emails over POP or something like that, you know, POP3 is not encrypted. So whatever traffic that you download over POP3 will be uh, be able to be seen in clear text. Um, and you need to think about that the people in the other end or the people who's managing the access point, you have to trust them somehow. Of course, there's mitigation, purpose, uh, mitigation possibilities. And one of them is that you use a VPN connection. Mm-hmm. So creating an, an encrypted tunnel from your device to a VPN, um, a VPN server. And that could be your corporate VPN server if you have one of those in your, in your business. It could also be one of the, uh, the uh, VPN services that you can get on the Internet today. And then, of course, you need to trust the people who's running the VPN service. But, uh, you know, there's always an, a, a level of trust, right? Sure. Um, but the VPN would then again encapsulate all of your client traffic in an encrypted tunnel, which would not be able to be sniffed on the wireless network. Sure. And something you could do without without too much cost or, or bother really is to have network equipment installed um, at your office or at home. So you can VPN into your own system and from there either, either use resources on the in- internal network or connect out to the Internet from there. It doesn't have to be too complicated or, or costly really. No, actually, most gateways, uh, sorry, internet gateways that you buy today, if you if you t- if you buy a uh, let's say the, the uh, a little bit more premium versions of them, then you actually get uh, support for VPN connections directly in those devices. Yeah. Uh, and then again, if you're a corporate uh, uh, um, uh, entity, then typically your IT department would offer you uh, VPN services that you can utilize. Yeah, absolutely. So again, think about the uh, the wireless networks that you connect to. Um, yeah, and then common sense, that's actually the, the end of it. If there's no such thing as a free meal, right? 
No, exactly. And th there rarely is, unfortunately. So, yeah, some, some good suggestions uh, for what to think about um, when um, setting up and, and running wireless, whether it's at home, home office, or a uh, small, small business um, office somewhere else. Um, good advice there, Nikolai. Um, maybe one thing we could uh, bring up next time. We haven't really decided on a topic, but something I thought about um, while talking about this is what are some of the, the tools, uh, free or cheap, uh, in terms of software applications that you can run on your computer to, to check your security, whether it's your Wi-Fi security, your, your office um, local area network security, or whatever it is. There, there must be some common um, tools um, that you can download and run yourself to, to kind of check things. Um, be a little bit of a hacker, but in a good sense. Absolutely. You know, actually, that's a, a great thing to ask our audience for. You know, if you're running some specific security tools that you like and that you want to recommend, then, you know, let's uh, send us a link for it, and, and, and Magnus and I will be happy to, to look into it. I, of course, have some tools that I use both privately and professionally um, that uh, that we can discuss, but it's always nice to get some uh, some content from, from you guys out there sure. and... Uh, you know, I, I by no means have a a complete picture of what you can get for 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 any type of machine. So, uh, so yeah, please send us your ideas. Uh, tweet us if you want to. Uh, you can also use the um, the um, uh, show notes to contact us. So uh, yeah, no, that's very good. I'm I'm gonna tweet um, a few times asking for input from from people. Um, what we can bring up, what we, what we should talk about. Um, so that might be, I don't know if we'll manage to get that into the next show, but it, it's something we'll, we'll bring up soon at least, I think. That's a, Absolutely. That's a good, good topic. Okay, Nikolai, that wraps up another very good show, this time about mainly about uh, Wi-Fi wireless security. So thank you very much and speak to you soon again. Absolutely. Take care out there.